Well, thank you, everybody, so much for joining us. This is Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain Radio. Uh, on the phone I have with me, Jeff Patterson from Courage to Resist, uh, a website that is dedicated to helping soldiers uh, who want out of the Army to explore their legal and moral options. Is that a fair way to describe the site, uh, Jeff? Absolutely. Uh, we deal with people that are refusing to fight in the United States military for various reasons. Some have uh, deployed already to Iraq and are now being asked to uh, turn around and redeploy to Afghanistan. Some are uh, refusing uh, for moral reasons, for uh, conscientious rejection, for example. Others are simply uh, in no uh, condition to return to fight uh, for uh, mental health, physical uh, health issues, and they're simply broken, uh, you know, to basically put it uh, simply. And in previous uh, years, you know, they would have never been asked to return to fight, um, but the military is so stretched at this point after nearly a decade of ongoing occupation war that uh, these people are still being uh, pressed to uh, return at one more time. Right, so this is soldiers who have physical ailments that limit them, and I guess even more fundamentally and less testably, so to speak, uh, those who are suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder or other kind of mental health ailments that are uh, not helping their stability uh, when faced with a return to uh, to the, the theater of war, right? Well, that, that's right. You know, most people, uh, most people in the military who have, who have fought in Iraq are going to have some post-traumatic stress disorder. I, I can't imagine anybody having, you know, going through that situation, uh, being on those convoys, doing security, doing the checkpoints, and not being affected in some way um, by post-traumatic stress disorder. But we're talking about the 30 to 40 percent that are going to have significant problems, and some of them for the rest of their lives with this issue. And these are the people that have never been asked to redeploy, but now based on just the uh, uh, desperation of the military to fill these deployment quotas. Uh, those are the people uh, being uh, called upon. And it's not only about those people, it's about uh, people that have fulfilled their obligated contracts of four or six years that are being stop lost um, to uh, remain in the military against their will past their active duty um, uh, you know, time of separation. And those are being uh, individual uh, ready reserve uh, recalled, meaning that they've already gone back to their civilian lives, trying to get that all back together, trying to recover uh, mentally and financially and gain their life together and and being called up against their will years later uh, to deploy one more time for another year. Right. So it's not just sorry, it's not just people who are ex who have their their term extended. It's people who've been honorably right. discharged, who've reintegrated as best they can into the civilian life, who were getting yanked back. Uh, and that really is against the contract. And I'm certainly no expert, but it seems to me against the contract that they originally signed up for. Well, it's, you know, the, the contract people sign up for is so open-ended. It's hard to say that the military could do anything that's against the contract. <laughs> uh, you know, you can make an argument that the military could, you know, call you up to do strange uh you know, uh, you know, experimentation on you by chopping off your left arm, and you'd be hard pressed to say that you're protected against that anywhere. Um, so it's really a question of you know, what are we doing as a nation to these people? Do they deserve better? Um, how are these occupation wars um, going to continue? Uh, the military is a very 
good success in the last uh, couple of years, last year particularly, in dealing uh, with the economic downturn as a great recruiting opportunity. So they're getting um, desperate, poor uh, young kids to join the military, but if they want to keep these non-commissioned officers that have the combat experience um, to lead these uh, fresh, you know, fresh 18, 19-year-old troops back into these occupational wars, and not enough uh, NCOs want to stick around to do that. And so that's why they're sort of shanghaiing, you know, these guys to do it one more time. Right, and of course they've also lowered the bar, if I remember rightly, in terms of allowing some felons in and lowering, lowering some of the IQ requirements or the written test requirements. Is that is that correct? Well, the, the military has done that for decades. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll do whatever they need to do to, to meet their quotas. And they'll increase uh, uh, recruitment uh, uh, money by mil- hundreds of millions of dollars if they need to. Or they'll lower the bar, as you say, is like letting people in that have, have uh, you know, that, um, you know, say that they've smoked uh, illegal medicines or illegal drugs or lowering the standards like you no longer have to actually complete high school or or have a GED in hand or, you know, like you say, felonies are no longer uh, immediate disqualification. And you're seeing more like back in the 70s when actually you have judges coming back to say, well, you know, you can go to jail or go to the military and you're seeing those kinds of situations a little bit more. So if a, if a soldier is in the situation where, uh, for whatever reason, he wants out of when he's in or he doesn't want to go back if he's already out, uh, I wonder if you could just lay out the options that are available to these, these poor men and women. Well, it's, it's really hard to describe uh, briefly what the options are because people really, really underestimate the, the maze of military regulations that we're trying to deal with and trying to sum up each individual situation. Um, and just to give you an example, uh, you know, what happens to individuals uh, is different. Uh, hugely, if you're, whether you're in the Coast Guard versus the Marine Corps, the Army versus the Navy or the Air Force. Um, and we, you know, we follow this so closely, we know we see particular trends that people at a particular military installation um, are being treated one way, say at Fort Stewart, in Georgia versus uh, Fort Hood in Texas, uh, you know, or versus a naval base by San Diego. Um, and, you know, and then, then we're talking, you know, has that person deployed already? You know, is, is PTSD an, an issue that we're going to be bringing up in their defense? We're um, trying to document uh, hardship cases. Uh, some people, uh, more than, you know, actually quite a number of people have gone AWOL to attend the funeral of a close family member when they were told by the military that that was important enough for them to get leave for, for example. Um, so, and then how many years has the person been in? What's their rank? Uh, like a, a private or a specialist is going to be treated differently than a staff sergeant or a gunnery sergeant, for example, or a lieutenant. So, it's just a, it's a whole wide range. But what people do, you know, they some people speak out and remain with their unit and deal with uh, charges such as conduct of becoming, uh, which is a military crime. Uh, basically anything they say that you are doing that is that brings uh, the military into a negative light is against military uh, regulations. Um, 
Some people go AWOL, and that's probably the most commonly understood of what uh, you know people refusing uh, happens. Other people miss a movement, which is sort of a, uh, when your AWOL and and your unit uh, deploys to a combat zone. Uh, that's a more more serious charge. We deal with issues like desertion, where people leave for years and years at a time. Uh, we have a couple hundred uh, U.S. military objectors living in Canada, and many of them have been there for over four years now. And uh, and you know, as those people choose to return or occasionally deported from Canada one by one, they face desertion charges. They're they're more serious. So it's sort of a a two cent tour of of, uh, of that. Now, there, thank you for that. There are some options, and again, I'm far from an expert in this, but uh, there are some options if you uh, become a conscientious objector or have moral uh, qualms or reservations about your deployment. I wonder if you could speak a little bit about that. Well, if, if you are against, you know, according to the U.S. military, conscientious objection is somebody who is against all, all war in all forms. It's important to recognize that conscientious objection, that definition changes from country to country uh, or even by who you talk to. But for the U.S. military, that's, that's the deal. And it's, it's one of the hardest discharges to get from the United States military, and probably only a few dozen people every year actually are discharged as conscientious objectors. So you compare that to medical discharges, uh, hardship discharges, or even don't ask, don't tell discharges. Uh, a very small number, but um, you know those are the cases that uh, we deal with. Um, in that, this process is, uh, takes a long time. It could take up to uh, eight months or more. It takes about eight months on average. Easily, we have cases that's gone over for up to a year, year and a half. So you can be a conscientious objector and say, you know, you're not going to pick up a weapon, but that won't stop you from de- being deployed to Iraq for a year. Um, and we've had um, a member of Courage to Resist was in that position where he re- deployed, went on patrols in Iraq, uh, but still refused to carry a weapon. Um, so, you know, that's sort of one extreme of what can happen as a conscience objector. And that's why, you know, most of the people that we deal with go AWOL at some point after they've given up after months of trying to get a discharge as a conscience objector. Um, uh, feel that uh, they're simply not going to be able to deploy, and that's and we bring those issues up to the military court martials as they happen, and we hope that you know as we can document that situation, you know they won't be discharged as conscious objector, but maybe they'll do a few extra months or a few <laughs> less months in the military stockade if we can argue that you know they they intended to be a conscious objector, they intend to be. Uh, deserter, for example. Right. Now, if, uh, and I know these are all very generic answers, and I appreciate that, but um, if you are a soldier who's facing something like a stop-loss recall or a recall after uh, re-entering civilian life, uh, are there a number of steps that you would suggest that person take that may be the most useful? And again, I know each case is different, but are there any general steps that you would suggest that people would take? Well, the the issue of stop loss and the individual ready reserve are very closely associated with each other because they're both generally known as the backdoor draft, where you're taking soldiers in the military and holding them uh, longer than their contract. But for example, in those two situations, the 
um, they're very different in how what they what the impact on the soldier can be. If you're a stop loss, for example, it means you can't leave your unit. Uh, you never separated from the military, and you have to continue to serve. If you refuse, then the complications or the repercussions are exactly the same as if you had refused uh, years earlier, uh, for example. But if you were uh, released from the military, even for 24 hours, and placed into the individual ready reserve program, then the repercussions are actually very minimal. Uh, the military doesn't tell you that, but you can simply not show up uh, and ignore them and live your life um, without any significant consequences at all, um, despite repeated uh, threats to the contrary by the military. Whereas if you're stop-lost, you refuse, uh, then it's very possible that you'd be looking at doing a a prison sentence of of 12 or 6, 12, 18 months. Right, because if you're in the um, individual ready reserves, you can, uh, I think I read on your website, some people do, they change their numbers, they, they have family members say, this person is not available at this address, and eventually the military will mark them down as like unable to contact, and they don't you know, send out the posse to hunt you down, but it's different if you're already in there and you're, you're being retained, right? Yeah, I think one of, one of our big successes as, as Courage Resist is we're the first uh, organization to actually make this information public to people in the individual ready reserves and to actually document and to explain uh, what the military can and can't do, what they are and are not doing, and to give people all the facts uh, and let them choose to refuse and knowing the consequences or in the situation of the IRR, the lack of consequences. And that, that's something very new and I, I think that we've contributed to dozens or hundreds of um, people that would have believed otherwise but have refused and not shown up for a recall, stayed home, and... Um, been able to live their life um, without real issue. Right. Now, as far as hardship discharges go, I would imagine, of course, that they're on their way down, although you do hear these terrible stories of uh, women who've given birth and then the child has gone into custody uh, and then uh, child services and then the woman is drafted and so on. Are the hardship uh, discharges or um, ways of getting out, are they very hard to achieve these days? Well, they are. They are hard. Uh, but uh, they're still a very legitimate uh, avenue to pursue uh, for your average uh, soldier. Uh, you mentioned, um, you know, the case of a woman giving birth and, and that issue. And, and uh, you know, you might be referring to a client of ours, Alexis Hutchinson, uh, who was a single mother, and uh, she had a family plan, which all single uh, parents need to have, is like when the member of the military deploys, who's going to take care of your kid? In her case, her family plan had to be changed because her mother, uh, the the child's grandmother, realized that she couldn't take care of an 11-month infant and two other sick members of the family. Uh, In that case, the military actually uh, locked up Alexis, um, put her in military jail, and sent her 11-month infant uh, to a county... uh, protective services out there in Georgia, um, which is a pretty extreme case. Uh, but, um, you know, hardship issues overall have actually gone up in the military because, you know, after years of repeated deployments, people's families have fallen apart. Uh, you know, their wife leaves them, their job disappears, 
uh, uh, you know, family members have, have died, um, and yet the military, um, you know, has less and less, uh, I don't know, uh, sympathy uh, for such cases just because based on their desperation to not let people leave from Iraq or Afghanistan. So it's a big logistical issue to, to while somebody go to a funeral or to be at the bedside of a dying family member. Um, they have to ship them all the way around the world and back and then take the chance of them going AWOL in the process. Right, right. And uh, of, of the hardship cases that you've seen over the last few years, are there any kinds that are more successful or less successful than others? Well, the, the ones that are successful is when people are able to contact organizations like ours, Courage to Resist, or the GI Rights Hotline, uh, which is a nationwide free hotline service that deals with just these kinds of issues. And if people are able to contact um, advocates uh, like ourselves, then we can get people to avoid uh, pitfalls. We can make sure that uh, they file their paperwork in a way that uh, can't be, quote, unquote, lost in the garbage can by the military. Um, and to let the military know that uh, these people are not on their own in this process. Um, you know, if, if your military commander thinks that you're trying to do this on your own, it's very easy for uh, for your request or your uh, form to to get misplaced um, for months or forever. So we, basically we can at least assure that the process goes forward and only then do you actually have a chance of it uh, you know, being resolved in your favor. Right, and I was just wondering if you wouldn't mind giving the contact numbers for you and the GI Rights Hotline uh, so that people who are watching this or listening to this would have a chance to, uh, to get in touch with people who can help them with these uh, incredibly difficult situations. That's that's the deal, you know. Whatever your situation is, you know, give us a call. We'll talk it over, and uh, if we can't help you, we'll refer you to the best people uh, that can. And we have the, you know, we have the resources and the sort of the, the years working on these different cases to know who and what those organizations are. So you give us a call at for, um, Courage Resist, CourageResist.org on the web, or uh, five ten. Four eight eight three five five nine, and also our friends at the GI Rights Hotline uh, have a toll free number eight seven seven four four seven four four eight seven. Well, thanks. I know that uh, your time is is short today, so I really wanted to take uh, to thank you for taking the time to talk about this incredibly uh, difficult issue and. I just wanted to, um, you know, thank you, sort of human being to human being, for the work that you're doing to help people uh, in these just tragic and difficult situations. Uh, I think that the work that you're doing is enormously helpful and positive. I know, I can imagine how frustrating and difficult it is, but uh, I just wanted to thank you uh, for the work that you're doing. It is, uh, I think it's humanitarian uh, at its core, and, and I really do appreciate it. Well, thanks, thanks for having me on. It's actually, you know, it's kind of... Uh... It's it's great to be able to do this work because there's so many people that are so so angry and so frustrated year after year of endless war from different uh, political parties and different presidents, and to be able to actually come to work and feel like I'm making some kind of concrete contribution to ending our opposing wars. You know, sort of an honor for me. All right. So, so I appreciate you having me on. That. And anybody who wants this information, CourageToResist.org is an invaluable tool and resource for you. Send it to anyone you know who might need help with these issues. And thank you so much, Jeff. I really do appreciate your time.
All right. Take care.